Hello, and welcome to Mystic Dog Mama, the podcast for soul-led dog mamas, where you'll discover how to best nourish your dog and yourself, mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Dr. Alexia Miller. Welcome and welcome back. I'm so happy that you're joining me today. If you've been in or around the fresh food dog feeding world for any length of time, I'm sure you've come across those posts on Instagram of beautiful plates of dog food with a whole host of amazing and exotic ingredients with the caption, quote, my dog eats better than me. Have you seen those? At first, I thought they were funny, but as I saw more and more of these posts, I actually grew a bit concerned about the underlying message that these really well-intentioned posts are sending, that we're not caring for ourselves with the same loving attention that we're caring for our dogs. And that really worried me. It worried me because I saw myself in those posts. Not so much the beautiful images, because God knows Lucky's meals never look like that. But I recognized how I always seemed to prioritize his nutrition, getting him the appropriate supplements, and making sure he is well taken care of, when I don't necessarily do the same for myself. The total irony in this is that, as a fresh feeder, the very foods and supplements that I'm getting for Lucky and feed him on a daily basis are literally the exact same foods and supplements that would benefit me, especially as I go through this transition period of my life in perimenopause. A great example that caught me off guard is that I give Lucky a fish oil supplement, but it has never occurred to me that I should be taking that too. I wouldn't even have to buy anything extra because I'm already getting it for him. And if you haven't totally switched over to fresh feeding yet, but you're interested in doing that for your dog, the converse is also true. The same fresh whole foods that you know are good for you and your health are generally the same foods that your dog's body needs too in order to thrive and that you could easily add as toppers to his or her existing meals. I'll do an episode on how to boost your dog's meals, so send me some questions you have about that, whether you're already a fresh food feeder or you're interested in improving your dog's health by adding in fresh foods to their existing diet. You can message me on Instagram at mysticdogmama. So as I mentioned, I'm in that perimenopause stage of life, which occurs somewhere between the late 30s and early 40s and lasts until the early 50s. And it turns out many of you are also in this age range, or you will be over the next upcoming years. I was talking to quite a few friends of mine about some of the changes that I've been noticing within myself, like irregular periods and not quite having the same energy levels and the dreaded chin hairs. I mean, I know we start to look like our dogs, but come on, that one's really unfair. And when I was talking with my friends, we all said how we don't really know much about this stage of our lives and our health and how to best support the changes we're going through. I think partly that's because although there have been great improvements, women's health remains a taboo subject. And because so many female bodies experience perimenopause in such different ways, it can be really hard to know what's normal. So I reached out to today's guest, integrative health practitioner and health coach Jessica Green, because I wanted her to share some of her insights on how to holistically support yourself through foods and nutritional supplements, as well as simple lifestyle changes, 
so that you can move through this period of your life with greater ease and joy. When I knew Jessica would be coming on the podcast, I put the word out on social media, asking you what questions you have about this phase of your life and how to use nutrition to navigate it. I was overwhelmed that within 24 hours, I received over three pages of questions. We had such an incredible interest in this topic that I didn't get anywhere near posing all of them to Jessica. So we'll just have to have her back on and do another episode on it. So if you didn't get to send me your question the first time around, or you have additional questions, send them to me now on Instagram at Mystic Dog Mama, and I'll add them to the list. It's such an important topic, and it's really helpful to be talking about it in community. So in this episode, Jessica gives us a great overview of what is going on in our bodies during perimenopause, symptoms you might be experiencing, and some great foods you can incorporate into your diet to help ease symptoms and help you feel your best. Get a pen and paper ready because this episode is chock full of useful info and tips, and you're going to want to take notes. Okay, that's enough of an intro, so let's go. Hi, Jessica. I am so excited to welcome you to the Mystic Dog Mama podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm so excited to be here today. Oh, this is this is going to be a good conversation. I wanted to just kind of introduce you to our community, and then I'll ask you to talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing in terms of being a health coach and looking at functional medicine specifically for people who are going through perimenopause and menopause, which is the subject of our chat today. But the reason I really wanted to bring you on is because when I started Mystic Dog Mama, the impetus was looking at how we best nourish our dogs and ourselves, mind, body, and soul. And I feel like the ourselves part often gets overlooked in favor of our dogs in this kind of a community because We are people who are very passionate about our animals and we know the value of fresh feeding. And we also know from the perspective of hormones that things happen throughout the body that are not just related to reproduction when we change the hormones in our animals. And yet we don't necessarily give ourselves the same focus. We're very happy to post an Instagram photo of our amazing dog's food bowl and brag about how our dog eats better than us. And I'm out to challenge that with you today. And actually, if we look at our dogs or our mirrors, let's flip that that lens back on ourselves and look at how do we best care for ourselves so that we can best care for our dogs as well. So I reached out to our amazing community and said that I was going to be chatting with you today and asked if anyone had any questions around perimenopause and menopause. And I was overwhelmed. I have over three pages of questions that came in. So I'm thrilled. Thank you to everyone who submitted a question. And our aim today is just to kind of get an overview of Jessica's work, and then we'll start to address some of the questions and we'll get through as many as we can. So Jessica, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you for being here. And can you let us know, how did you get into this line of work? Sure. Yeah. Well, my previous uh, work was in sustainability. I was a sustainable building expert, at first a consultant, and then I worked at a corporation. And, um, you know, I 
I love that work, but it was very uh, high stress. And I found myself having more and more health issues. And so I would dig more and more into, you know, what is going on? What can be happening with me? I did Google searches after Google searches, you know, so many Google searches. And uh, a couple things kept on popping up uh, for me. Um, integrative uh, health practitioner program and IIN uh, and all these different health coaching programs. And I started to look into it and I'm like, oh, there's a whole realm out here, like a whole other uh, work that I could be doing. And uh, I, I got to this point in my career where I felt just so incredibly burnt out and I felt like I was doing all the things, but I wasn't getting anywhere. Um, I made some little bits and pieces of progress, uh, but I thought, you know what, the one thing that I haven't changed yet was to quit the stressful job and to not work. Right. I took a break. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, and during that break, of course, I, I don't usually sit still for that long. So during this break, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to check out this certification so I did one certification, it led to another and led to another. And now I'm an integrative health practitioner, uh, level two. So I run functional medicine lab tests for my clients. And um, and I'm also a health coach, of course, as well. And uh, this work has just been really, um, really rewarding, not only because I've been able to reverse a lot of health conditions that I was struggling with, but also I've been rebalancing my body enough that, you know, I'm, I'm about to hit 50 and, you know, I haven't, I haven't really had symptoms, the perimenopause symptoms, and I'm not in menopause yet. I'm just in perimenopause, but I haven't really experienced these symptoms. And so this is what I want to do for women around me. I want to be able to educate them to share how they could really balance their bodies so that they can flow through this stage of life because this stage of life already has a lot of challenges so many challenges in terms of responsibilities we have aging parents we've got children that we're raising possibly you know relationships where we've got a partner um, maybe we have a mortgage we've got all this financial responsibility and many of us at this stage in life are also really at the top of our career as well. So there's even more stress, some career stress associated with that. So um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really passionate about helping women flow through this stage of life with ease so that they can do all the amazing things that they want to do so that they have that energy so that they feel like themselves so that they could sleep through the night. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Amazing. And so how would a health coach differ from working with your doctor? Oh my gosh, it's like night and day. So, you know, you go into a doctor's office, you might go to a GP, for instance, or you might go to a specialist. Um, doctors, uh, you might see your doctor for about 10 minutes. And during that time, you can bring up one, one, one complaint, one issue that you have. And the doctor is going to look at that issue, categorize it, and prescribe some some something that will help with the symptoms. This is what they tend to do. Now, doctors can be great. Surgery, fixing bones, all of that, so important, right? We still need our 
conventional medicine doctors, but when it comes to sustaining really good health and getting down into the root cause for why we might be experiencing a certain symptom, that is not their strongest um, area of expertise. So love my doctor, but a health coach will spend, a typical health coaching appointment would be something like an hour long. And this is uh, someone that you have a relationship with and that you're seeing them on a regular basis. All health coaches will have different uh, programs. My program, it's pretty typical. I, I would say it's kind of typical. I meet with my client every other week. And so during that time, it could be four months, it could be a year, it could, depending on what they're going through, what they want to achieve. And during that time, I'm building a relationship with them. I'm understanding their entire health history. We're doing functional medicine lab testing to figure out what the imbalance is. Then we're working on personalized protocols that fit within their lifestyle so that they could rebalance their body. We're working on the mindset piece as well, because that is so key, especially when it comes to anything having to do with habit changes and anything having to do with calming the nervous system. So um, big, big difference. We're kind of like, uh, we're very subclinical. Health coaches are very subclinical. All the functional medicine lab tests that I run are very subclinical. These aren't something that you would no normally get at your doctor's office, but you could get through a naturopathic doctor if you're working with a naturopathic doctor or a functional medicine doctor could do that too. But the conversation is just a little bit different. A um, health coach might even be talking to you about life circumstances or work circumstances, things that can really uh, affect your health and well-being. Uh, but the conversation might not sound like it's about health and well-being. It might be about setting boundaries with certain people at work. It might be what are the things that you could hand off to someone to create more time and space for yourself and reduce some of the stressors. So it's completely different than working with a, a doctor. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And actually we see th those of us who start to look into um, more holistic approaches for our dogs and who start to get into the fresh feeding, et cetera, are often coming at it because of those very reasons that they've been going to the vet and they've been put on every single medication possible, but it's just treating the symptoms and it's not actually getting to the root. And it's a little bit like a wicked problem where a drug might cause, you know, might, might actually suppress the symptoms of one thing, but then it triggers a problem in another area. And so people, I mean, this was how it was for me too, where you, you just get fed up and you're like, we've got to get to the root of this. What's going on at the root? The symptoms are telling us that there's a deeper problem. And like you said, often that is lifestyle. It's not just about a food intolerance or a vitamin deficiency or something like that. It's taking a whole whole picture perspective on yeah. the individual. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Lucky's very into this conversation. He's just rejoined us. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Brilliant. So how did you get to focus on women going through perimenopause and menopause? You know, that's really interesting. I um I really I I started this last year specifically with that group. Now, I was already working for years with women uh 
almost all of them were in this age group of 40 plus. And we'd be working through a number of different things. You know, maybe it's gut health, maybe it's um, a lot of it was hormone health though. And I kept on seeing this trend come up again and again. And then um, at the beginning of the year, I felt really uh, inspired and, and drawn to create this group program so that I could reach out to more women all at once. And um, I, I called this group program Fabulous Over 40. It sounded cute. I know it's not very specific, but it was all about hormone health for women over 40, because there's so many different transitions that women go through. Uh, as soon as they hit 40, they start going through different stages of perimenopause, and then they hit menopause, and then they're kind of balancing out on the other side. It's such a complex uh, group of people to work with because of these hormone changes. Men don't have the same kind of hormone changes that women do. And this stage of life could be just so, so much variety. Um, so you'll even notice that in, uh, say somebody does a trial run of something, you know, maybe it's like some research study. They almost always leave out the women in this age group. They'll work with, maybe it's the 60 plus, right? But they're not going to touch the midlife woman, and, you know, generally speaking, because there's just too much going on, too many variables. So I felt really drawn to support this group of women. I created this group program. And, you know, as it was forming, uh, I just things started coming up again and again. And so I reran that program. I reran that program. So I've run it several times over the course of the year, and I'm going to definitely continue this in the future. But this is how I got into it. It wasn't just, hey, I'm going through perimenopause. Uh, it was, you know what? There are themes that I am seeing again and again, and they really need to be addressed. We really need to start talking about these more and more. And even, you know, and I said, I'm not really just focused on myself here when I'm thinking about perimenopause and menopause, but I can absolutely bring my own experiences in this too, you know, and questioning identity or feeling overwhelmed because of all the extra responsibilities that we have at this age, that I have at this age, um, really shifting. There's such a big shift in midlife. And we're not all grannies at midlife. It's not like you just stop being fertile and then you're a granny. No, there's this whole section of life that each of us go through. And it can be really amazing. It could be really creative. It could be really productive. It could be so many things. And so I really want to help people to feel so amazing that they could make this uh, just a wow part of their uh, lifetime. Yeah, no, I agree completely as, as I'm in that age bracket as well. And I think that especially as I was getting a lot of the questions back and, and comments from me asking for people to, to post some questions and starting some conversations with people, one of the things that was coming through was that there's such a need for creating a community around this. Because in sharing what we're going through, in creating that space for a safe conversation, because again, despite the fact that 
we are in a much more progressive time than we used to be per se in, in being able to talk about this. It still seems like there's a stigma or a taboo around talking about your period, you know, like the big P word. It's like we still carry that. And so a lot of women are going through things and either assuming that it's normal right? I actually had this experience going through with having really heavy periods and not knowing until my late thirties that, oh, that's not normal. I just thought this is what it was because there wasn't a space for conversation around it. And so women were sharing with me in this, is this reaching out that I was doing that we need a space to have more conversations because there's so much value in knowing you're not alone. <sighs> so true. So yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, maybe it's it's helpful if I kick off with some of the questions that sure. came up and you can feed in around it and add in some other stuff. But I have to say one of the first questions was actually, what is perimenopause and menopause? And what's the difference? Uh, such a great question to start with. It's a good starting oh. point. <laughs> <laughs> so perimenopause, there's a lot of confusion about this. And, it, it, you know, we think about it's not like a light bulb turns on and all of a sudden you're in perimenopause or menopause for that matter. It's kind of like this slide. And uh, what happens right around late 30s, early 40s, that time frame, your hormones start to go down, your sex hormones. And so what you'll experience could be signs or symptoms of, uh, usually it starts out as sign or symptoms around um, estrogen dominance. So we have uh, several sex hormones, the uh, progesterone, the estrogen, the uh, DHEA, which I think of as the youth hormone, and then testosterone. These are kind of the key sex hormones. And as we get over this hump around late 30s, early 40s, we start to see those drop a little bit. And you might experience this as, um, you know, maybe you're trying to conceive and having difficulty conceiving. That would be kind of a common one uh, because your progesterone is starting to drop a little bit faster than the estrogen. And progesterone and estrogen, they work in a combination with each other. They sit in this ratio. When the ratio is off, when estrogen is dominating, even if estrogen is low, it could still be dominant. And when that happens, you could start getting these estrogen dominant type symptoms. So, you know, that might look like, it could look like um, your uh, breasts are a little bit tender, for instance, you could have a bit of mood swings. Uh, maybe you're starting to gain a little bit of weight as well. Uh, you're starting to get a little bit of brain fog can happen also. Uh, and then over time, so it, they'll they'll kind of go up and down, both of those kind of go up and down throughout this perimenopause stage. It's like your body is trying to find its equilibrium. And as it does that, it's kind of like the messy middle. And, you know, at the end of it is postmenopause where you're just kind of humming along again. Now, later in perimenopause, so think about this as sort of late 40s, you might see also that dip in estradiol or estrogen happening. And so you'll start to see wrinkles, thinning of the skin, a little bit of skin sagging, 
Uh, thinning of hair can happen as well, a little bit more weight gain around the middle. Um, those would be kind of common signs of estrogen starting to drop off a little bit. And during this whole time, you're, you know, kind of losing some muscle mass as well. So you might find that uh, you're not metabolizing carbs as well as you used to. Uh, so that could cause some overall weight gain as well. You'll feel like, oh, I'm just, my metabolism is slowing down. I can't use the same tricks that I used to use before when I was in my 20s and early 30s. They don't work. Um, and so you go through this stage and this stage can last well over a decade. I mean, it, it varies from woman to woman, but, you know, if you were looking at the labs, if you were looking at dips in progesterone and estrogen, say specifically, um, yeah, you would start to see this in your late thirties, early forties, right? And a lot of women don't hit menopause and I'll describe what menopause is. They usually don't hit that until early fifties, mid fifties. Of course, everyone is a little bit different. There are some women that will hit menopause in their early forties or, or late forties, I should say. Menopause is actually a one day anniversary. And this is where this gets a little bit confusing because people think, oh, I'm in menopause, you know, like I've stopped having my period. Well, menopause is that one year anniversary of not having your period for 12 months. So say if you had your period again at 11 months, it's like, okay, well, you're not in, you're not menopausal yet. You just had your period. You got to start over, start counting again, right? So, um, and menopause is not a cliff that you fall off of. You've been going down this slope, right? And then, and then you're kind of leveling out. And menopause, all that means is that uh, your ovaries are definitely closed for business, so to speak. They're not the ones that are producing the estrogen and the progesterone that you love so much. Uh, a lot of that has shifted over actually to your adrenals. Now, this is really important. So adrenals are linked to cortisol levels and cortisol, you know, it can spike in times of stress. It does a bunch of other things too, but your adrenals could get kind of pooped out if you're constantly stressed. And so many of us midlife women, we're just stressed, right? So we've got chronic stressors happening and we've been doing this for such a long time. It's like, making that deadline, getting to that meeting on time, getting the kids out the door, making sure dinner is on the table. And then you, you're rinsing and repeating it every single day. Never mind some bigger stressors that could come up with, you know, COVID happening and being, you know, away from people that you love or things that you used to love to do. It could be that you've experienced death. These are like bigger traumas, right? But it doesn't have to be a big trauma. It could be small little stressors throughout the day really build up. And uh, over time, what can happen is that um, stress really steals your sex hormones. So imagine a, a master hormone at the top. And the way I, the reason, there is a reason why I'm explaining this. As yeah, this is great. So you have a master hormone at the top. It's called pregnenolone, and it's got a couple of different pathways. It could either help you, you know, run away from danger, you know, flee the tiger, right? Or it can help you um, have babies. So it's like reproductive health or run away from danger. And that's just, that's how your body is. Now, you, you generally toggle between the two or kind of sit somewhere in the middle. 
But we want to be able to get into that relaxed state, not just for fertility's sake or the sake of our hormone production, but also to digest our foods properly, which has a whole other effect on our body. So say if you're in the stress state for a long period of time, you know what can happen is that you can feel like you're going through perimenopause, have the brain fog, you can start to see some, um, uh, you know, maybe your period doesn't come as regularly as it did before. Uh, maybe you're gaining weight. That's very common with stress as well. Your thyroid's probably not working as well. That could mess with the uh, hormone. It could also uh, make communicating more difficult as well. So that's another thing that goes along with brain fog is difficulty linking your thought to your mouth. And so all of this could be going on making it feel like a woman is going through perimenopause much earlier. It could happen in the thirties, right? But that's going to happen in your twenties too. If you're chronically stressed or had some really big traumatic events happen, you'll see a lot of those same symptoms then. So this all to say, if all is kind of typical, most women experience the perimenopause starting or slipping into perimenopause around that time frame, the late 30s, early 40s. And then eventually they get to that anniversary date of menopause. And if you're stressed, if your adrenals are just pooped out, you're gonna have trouble with your sex hormones later because your body is trying to hand off sex hormone production to your adrenals. And if your adrenals are unhappy, your sex hormones will be really low and then you won't feel good. So that's a really important piece to remember too. So I think I've answered your question about, or their question, the person's question about what is perimenopause and what's menopause and when do those happen and how do you know? Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's amazing. And I think it also points to what you raised as well around having to take a holistic approach to this because you have to look at the lifestyle component as well. That if you are in a chronically st stressed state, and we know this with our dogs too, we talk about it with things like trigger stacking, that it's it's not enough if you're if you have a dog who's reactive, for example, and you, they're frightened of all sorts of things and all they they've been, their adrenals are basically on, on overload and they're really stressed before they go out the door. Anything that they encounter is going to be just massively explosive because it, it's been stacked and that happens in a day that happens over a week that happens over months. And so you have to then address the overall lifestyle picture in order to support what's happening in the body as a result of that. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, ab absolutely. Well, another question that comes kind of on the back of what is perimenopause and menopause was how do you actually know then for yourself with if if you're not getting tested for it, for example, what stage you might find yourself in of perimenopause? Is there a way for you to know or is it really based upon lab results is how they would define it? Oh, no, not at all. I, you could definitely go by symptoms as well. So some of the common symptoms that I see are, are the brain fog, for instance. Um, I've seen also uh, having trouble staying asleep at night or having a lighter sleep. Your quality of sleep isn't as good. Uh, so that is a big thing that I see. 
Um, more obvious signs or symptoms could be maybe your cycle length is shorter. Maybe it's longer. So if you were always a 28-day cycle person and all of a sudden it's shrunk down to 25 days, but that's consistent, that is, that's a sign of perimenopause. Just like going longer is a sign of perimenopause. So, and it could vary throughout this time as well. So that's common. Other things that I've seen, I mentioned the breast tenderness, for instance, uh, that brain fogginess, uh, feeling like you're forgetting things, seeing a little bit more weight gain, feeling really fatigued throughout the day could be one of the signs as well, or especially later in the day, like you just feel like you want to go home at the end of the day and lay down on the couch and take a nap. That could be a sign of multiple things, but that could be a sign of perimenopause too. Uh, thinning of the hair would be a common one. Uh, wrinkles, so a little bit of aging going on. Uh, that could be a sign. Uh, some women later on, usually not the first half of perimenopause, but the later half of perimenopause can experience vaginal dryness. This doesn't happen with everyone, but that could be a sign as well. Um, you might also see um, some other inconsistencies in your skin that you don't normally see. You might see, you know, uh, for some reason you, you're getting some acne, uh, not a bunch of it, but just little bits of acne. Uh, you can also see as, as you go farther along the perimenopause range, uh, you could start to see, um, you know, more hairs on your chin, <laughs> so <laughs> hairs on your chin, less hairs on your head. Um, that can happen as well. It's so unfair. It's so unfair. It, it's so unfair. It just seems wrong. Doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So those are the kind of signs or symptoms that I would typically see or look out for, mm -hmm. for, for women. Could you also see dryness at the skin and like increased dryness as a as a result of it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the increased dryness, some of that could also be linked to the thyroid as well. So when you have a drop in progesterone, your thyroid won't be quite as happy, we'll say simply. Um what will happen is that um and because of that, you you'll become slightly hypothyroid. Uh, and that slight hypothyroid will also cause a drying of the skin. Yeah, so it's really important that you, you're going to shift your skincare regime as you get older. You're going to go for more things that are um, that don't strip your natural oils. So not using harsh cleansers, you'll, you can maybe even if unless you have makeup on throughout the day, maybe you don't wash your face with a cleanser every day. Um, so you might do that. You're going to use more uh, facial oils, for instance, as opposed to really light moisturizers that you might have used before. You're probably going to want to use something a little bit thicker or a little bit more oily because your skin's just really going to absorb it. It's going to be more important also to drink plenty of wine. like staying hydrated is oh so important. It affects your energy level. It affects your skin plumpness. Um, yeah, there are definitely things that will shift over time for uh, most women. Yeah. yeah. And skin yeah. dryness absolutely is one of them. Yeah. yeah. A question that also kind of follows up with this is 
cramping muscle, not just menstrual cramping, but muscle cramping in increased experience of like cramps in the ankles or feet or places that you didn't necessarily have a problem before. Is that also a sign of perimenopause? You know, I would, I would actually go backwards a step and say, okay, <laughs> so if you're stressed, uh, your body is going to shove out, excrete more, um, and or use up more magnesium. And when you're low in magnesium, and many women are, many, many women are very low in magnesium. When you're low in magnesium, two things happen. One, you start to get those cramps. Um, so leg cramps, feet cramps, you know, cramps in the middle of the night, especially, um, yeah, you're, you're not going to, it affects so much more than just, you know, cramping. Uh, but um, that happens. And then the other thing that can happen too, is that because the magnesium isn't there to keep calcium in check, minerals act in sort of opposition of one another. If you don't have enough magnesium to keep the calcium in your body where it can do something for you, it will start to be excreted through your hair and your skin. And you don't want that. You want to keep it in your body and in your bones where it could do some good. So what can happen with prolonged stress is that you could also start to see some osteopenia start to show up. So maybe your bone density is a little bit worse. You're not as strong. Um, maybe you break or fracture things a little bit more easily. And that is just related to the magnesium loss associated with the stress. So that's where I would go first when it comes to anything related to cramping. Right. Like and and if this, this specific question was asked by somebody who said, I'm already supplementing with magnesium. So what, what can I do beyond that? Is there any advice that you might have? Yeah. For, well, for one thing, um, you could try to up the dosage. And I know it sounds a little bit scary for some people, but the truth is, is that your body if it's not using the magnesium that you're taking in, in well, you'll just pee it out. So there's right. no real danger. So what I would ex do first is I would just experiment with maybe doubling the dose for a period okay. of time and see if that helps. Everyone is going to be a little bit different. If you've been drained for a long enough time, then taking that could really help. Other things that I've seen help with regard to um, like uh, joint aches and pains uh, it could be related to inflammation, inflammation uh, in the body, and it could be a number of things causing the inflammation, right? I mean, if your body is like a rain barrel and all the things, the pathogens and toxins, it kind of just builds up over time and stressors, it overflows. When it overflows, it shows signs and symptoms, and you just need to listen to your body. Okay, what is this telling me? Now, when that happens, you could become more sensitive to certain foods. So they call it food sensitivities. You could run a food sensitivity test for that. That's one of the tests that I use in my practice. Um, but also you could just do an elimination diet to see if that helps. Yeah. Now, the challenge is that you, you would take out the things that are most commonly inflammatory to see if that helps. But it could also be something pretty random. It could be something like, oh, I ate almonds, you know, every day. And those almonds are causing my pinky finger to have um, a joint ache mm -hmm. and eliminating them. I don't have any aches in my joints 
in my fingers. Yeah. So you would eliminate things like gluten and dairy. You could eliminate eggs. Uh, those top three things, those are really good to eliminate for a period of time. I would say three weeks, including sugar. And I would just drop the alcohol too, because alcohol is incredibly inflammatory. So you take out really inflammatory foods for three weeks and there's a good chance that you're going to see some results from that. And then after the three weeks, you could start introducing one food back at a time to see if you're reacting to it. And you would do that just one food type at a time for three days. If there's no symptoms, nothing changes for you, everything is good, then you could go on to test the next thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And I think a lot of our, our community members will have already had experience with doing something like that for their dogs too, because dogs are constantly presenting with all kinds of sensitivities and allergies. And it's exactly the same thing. What are the big, the top things that you can start to eliminate? See when you start building it back in, if you have any kind of um, other sorts of reactions. But this also makes me think about one of the things that we look at with dogs is that so many of their sensitivities come from something like leaky gut, which is obviously tied into the microbiome. And I wonder if in your work and if in your research, you've come across anything around um, supporting the microbiome as we're going into perimenopause and menopause to help us get through that, as you, as you say, flow through it a little bit more smoothly. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. So when we go through, when we start to see a drop in our sex hormones, uh, that can, and we're stressed out too, you know, th yeah, they kind of it. go hand in hand, all the things. What can happen is that our uh, gut motility starts to slow down a little bit. So, uh, and maybe our stomach acid is a little less uh, strong as well. So it's not breaking down all the things that we're putting into our bodies. We're not absorbing things. We're not um, uh, breaking down the proteins as well either. So we're not getting all of those essential amino acids. Eventually what can happen is that with that slow motility and with different pathogens able to enter into our gut, because the stomach acid isn't strong enough to kill it off, well, then we could start to see some gut microbiome upset. So that could look like um, that could look like candida overgrowth. That's probably one of the most common things that I see in women in this age group. It's just candida overgrowth. It's a yeast overgrowth. It could be you've had, uh, you know, it, it could be from a combination of things. It could be from antibiotic use in the past and just not rebalancing your gut afterwards. It could be from eating um, sugars, you know, really feeding that candida, you know, having that sweet tooth. Um, those are things that could really do it for people. Um, but the stress piece, that's the biggest thing that I see. And if someone is stressed and dealing with candida overgrowth, um, it could be really hard to get rid of that candida overgrowth. It could just kind of keep on coming back and coming back. And then you'll find that you're going through candida protocols a couple of times a year because it just keeps coming back. So reducing the stress can definitely help your overall gut situation. The other thing is that um, when our gut isn't happy, we don't get rid of toxins as well either. So it'll affect our liver, which also processes hormones. So that, that could be a problem. So our liver is responsible for taking an inert kind of form of 
thyroid hormone T4 and making it into T3. It doesn't do all the work, but it's like 70% of that transition or translation happens in the liver. So the liver is really important. Liver also helps us to get rid of excess estradiol. Super important if you're starting out through the first stages of perimenopause. You want your liver to work really, really well because you don't want estradiol, estrogen, to keep recirculating in the body. Right. That's not a good thing. That'll cause some estrogen dominant symptoms. So you wouldn't think of like your liver or your gut having anything to do with your hormone health and how you feel, but it does. It absolutely does. Parasites can also come into the body uh, when you're ingesting something, your stomach acid isn't killing them off like it should. Then all of a sudden you've got parasites. And since, you know, this is a group of uh, people who really love their dogs, um, you know, animals bring in parasites. They eat poop from other animals outside and those will have parasites. They could get them from the dirt, you know, from eating clobs of dirt. Um, you could get parasites from them. So uh, most of us have some sort of parasite uh, and parasitic infections are really what we want to be careful of. And so parasite cleanses are really helpful. Uh, the other thing that could actually help a lot with the gut microbiome too, is if you have like any known mold exposure, working on doing a, a mold protocol to cleanse your body of mold that started to inhabit it, uh, inhabit your body could be really beneficial, both from a hormone standpoint, certainly from a thyroid standpoint, because a lot of cases of autoimmune thyroid conditions are actually a mold problem. And so that's really important. And, uh, and so getting rid of the molds can be really, really helpful for your overall microbiome. Right. And as far as toxins are concerned, would you also suggest rethinking like the ingredients that are in our shampoos and in our skincare products, as well as our cleaning products that we're using in our home in order to reduce the buildup? Yes, absolutely. So Super important. Anything that you ingest or clean with or put on you, as you use up whatever that product is, going to a cleaner version would be incredibly helpful. And the reason is because a lot of products that are more conventional that we grew up with, they have endocrine disruptors in them. And endocrine disruptors are things that mess with our hormones. And because you're going through perimenopause, you don't want to mess with your hormones any more than you have to. So taking out those types of products, uh, things with parabens and PFAs and PFOs, and, um, and also looking in your kitchen, BPAs, BPSs, yes, BPS, BPFs. Uh, all of those can affect your hormones. And uh, so reducing your exposure to these could look as simple as um, you could go to Environmental Working Group's website. They've got some apps in there you could download even, and you could check out uh, cleaner options or less toxic options for your products, uh, bath and body products and cleaning products. So that's a really nice database to check out. Um, you can also, I, I like certain brands, um, in terms of, of beauty products. I like, uh, Loom V for instance, is really nice. Um, there are a beauty counter. I know a lot of people like beauty counter. Beauty counter is 
uh, very low toxin. Um, there's a few other brands that are really good too. EWG has, has a list of some really nice brands. So that's a good place to start. And then in the kitchen side of things, just looking at all the plastic things that you have, uh, start by taking out, you know, replacing as you can uh, plastic food containers. So anything plastic in the kitchen, like Tupperware, for instance, especially if it's something that's had tomato in it, you know how you'll never get that plastic clean again because the tomato is acidic. And what happens is that it's actually trading places with the molecules in the plastic. Oh my so I just want you to picture the yeah. molecules of plastic going into your tomato sauce and, and then the tomato going into the plastic. So it's just sort of switching places. And um, so don't use those. Don't put any kind of plastic containers, especially um, things that you would put food in. Don't put those in the dishwasher. Don't use high heat. Don't scrub them with anything. If you have a um, uh, like a nonstick um, frying pan that uh, is scraped at all, I, you've got to get rid of it. Really, you do because it, it has a substrate of aluminum in it. And aluminum is a neurotoxin and you don't want neurotoxins. It's kind of hard to, it's harder to get rid of heavy metals. Right. Some toxins are water soluble. They'll just leave after a few weeks. Some toxins are fat soluble and most metals are fat soluble and those will linger and it's harder to get rid of them. And when they get into your fat tissue, it makes it even harder to lose weight because they've made this beautiful little home and then they protect them with a nice little biofilm to go along with it. Um, yeah, so toxins in the kitchen like that. And then also uh, prioritizing organic foods over non-organic foods can be incredibly helpful as well to eliminate exposure of things like uh, glyphosate and atrazine and um, oh, just so many, so yeah. many. Yeah. Uh, different chemicals could be in those. Absolutely. Those Absolutely. Thank you for that. And I'm aware that we are starting to run out of time. So I wanted to ask you, we're not going to get through all these questions. So I'm just going to have to invite you back and hope you say yes, because we've got so many to go through. But I was wondering if you could give people a kind of um, maybe your like top three tips on foods and perhaps supplements that they could be using during this time to help support them if you recommend supplements at all. Yeah, absolutely. So foods, I would focus on whole foods. Um, cooked, you know, especially when it comes to meats and fishes, because you don't want the parasites, but be sure to wash your fruits and veggies as well. But really focus on the whole foods. Things that don't have an ingredient list would be good. More of that and less of the processed foods or ultra processed foods. Also, I look for nutrient-dense foods. So whole foods that are also nutrient-dense, it does not include grains. Grains are not nutrient-dense. You could kind of shove those aside or think of those as a, like a nice to have, but I wouldn't have it as a base of a meal uh, because they're not going to be very nutrient-dense. So that is one place that I would start. Then from a supplement standpoint, I absolutely do recommend supplements, but they're going to be nutritional supplements first and foremost, not the herbs. The herbs, I feel like 
that's like the next thing that you could add. But for that, I'd really want to get a better sense for what are the symptoms that you're having. If you wanted to run functional medicine lab tests, that's the only way I would recommend some of them, not all of them, like some you could go based on symptoms. But the most common things that I recommend is just a really good quality multivitamin, not from Costco. I, I want it to have methylated B vitamins in them. And then I would also add on to that magnesium. Magnesium should be taken at night with dinner. Um, for some people, I would suggest also zinc would be really nice, 15 milligrams in addition to the multivitamin. Kind of depends on what your energy level is, and you could always test this out. I'm a big believer in testing things out, so you add one thing in at a time to see how you feel. Vitamin D absolutely would be an excellent one. Get your vitamin D tested first, though, because it's a fat-soluble vitamin, and if you take too much, um, your body doesn't just pee it out like it does with, say, a B vitamin. The other thing that's really, really good to take when you are in perimenopause is um, vitamin C, because vitamin C will help boost your progesterone naturally, which is ah, excellent. I didn't and know it that. Doesn't it doesn't have to be that much either. It could be around 750 milligrams to a gram a day. So you don't have to go full two grams unless you're, you know, coming down with a cold or something, maybe you want that extra boost. And then finally, a really good quality omega-3 fish oil. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when I had my dog, he was getting fish oil as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. So you will need fish oil as well. And the reason is because omega-3 is very anti-inflammatory. So it will help you with uh, improving insulin sensitivity for metabolic health, but it'll also bring down some of that inflammation in your body that might be causing you to have some reactions to certain foods, totally possible. But it's also in another ratio with omega-6s. Omega-6s are like those seed oils. I don't like seed oils. Seed oils are not good. I would never cook with the seed oil. I always go for you know, olive oil at lower heat, avocado oil, butter, ghee, even duck fat is going to be better than a seed oil. So, but processed foods have lots of seed oils in them. And then some other foods naturally have omega-6s in them. We still need the omega-6s, but honestly, you could cut out all of the processed foods and just focus on good quality whole foods and still have an out of balance uh, with omega-3s. And not everyone sits there and eats like a can of sardines every day. Right. So, you know, if you're not going to eat like a half a can to a whole can of sardines almost every day of the week or anchovies, having a good quality fish oil, omega-3 would right. be really helpful for right. most people. So I know it sounds like a lot, but these are kind of my, my go-tos right now. Exactly. Exactly. No. And this is great, Jessica, because actually what you're listing as far as things that are important to include are things that if we are making food for our dogs, we're already doing a lot of that stuff. So again, that issue of you'll get it for your dog, but you should be taking it too. And I agree with it, with the sardines and all of that. It's so important, the omega-3s, and we overlook that. And I wanted to ask you a really quick question on that. What do you think about algae oil for omega-3s if someone's a vegan, for example? Yeah. Okay. So the, the key is there's two things. 
One look at the amount of omega-3 in there, it's EPA and DHA. So there's two components to the omega-3s that you would typically see on any bottle. You want about two grams a day. Now, some oils that are vegan, like flaxseed oil, for instance, it doesn't convert so well. So even if it says you're getting a gram of omega-3, it might only have a 40% conversion rate in your body. I would still take it though, if I were vegan, for sure. Now, if you're vegan, not only would you want to um, have a good quality omega-3, which can be vegan, and you just want to make sure that you get you know, plenty of it, you also want to add in a B complex in addition to a multivitamin. If you're very stressed, I would add in a B complex anyway on top of your multivitamin because when we're stressed, we excrete B12 and B6 and B3, and we need these. We need these for mitochondrial health. We need these for neurotransmitters. We need these for energy level. Um, we need them for uh, liver detoxification as well. So when we're low in nutrients, our liver will hold on to things. It won't do its phase one, phase two liver detoxification tricks that it will do on all the stuff that we already give it. So super important with that. Um, but yeah, vegans could still, you know, you could still be vegan. You're just going to have to pay attention to some of these things that um, we might be able to get otherwise through right. eating animal proteins or fish proteins. Right. right. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. And I also know that you have a book coming out and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that for us and where we might be able to find it and when we can find it. Yes, absolutely. So uh, I'm in the process of writing a book right now and um, it will be coming out. The goal is to have it all ready in May. So of 2024. Yeah. yeah, of 2024. So May of 2024. And I will give you the title of it as soon as I've decided which title to pick. <laughs> but it is it is going to be focused on um, helping women uh, do all the things to rebalance their body over 40. And this will include the mindset pieces. It will include um, this sort of identity shift, uh, the sort of social and identity, uh, social identity shift. And then it will also include um, a description of hormone balance, just like I was talking about earlier. It'll go into a little bit more detail of that. And then I'll be talking about nutrition. I'll be talking about movement and I'll be talking about my favorite supplements. And then I'll also have a bonus section for those who want to go a little bit deeper and want to dig into their symptoms and what it might be telling them. And then some of the favorite herbs that I use for balancing my body throughout this stage. So there'll be some additional bonuses at the back. I'm really, really excited about this. It's it's shaping out quite nicely if I do say so myself, but I'm really excited to get this information out to women yeah. in a way that's really easy to digest. Yeah. Digestible. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited about it. We'll have to have you back on closer to when it comes out or just after it comes out and you can talk a little bit more about it because I think again, there's so many questions. I'm like not even halfway through the questions. This is such an important topic. And I think that you're offering a really beautiful perspective on it. That is one where you look at the whole person and you put all of the puzzle pieces together instead of just this sort of typical allopathic approach of like taking ibuprofen for your cramps or something, that kind of a thing. 
Jessica, this has been so helpful. So wonderful. Thank you so very much. Where can people find you for more information? My website is jessicagreenwellness.com. My Instagram is the same, Jessica Green Wellness. And so is my business page on my Facebook account, Jessica Green Wellness. So pretty consistent there. You could find me in all three places. And um, yeah, so many resources I have for uh, all of your listeners, freebies, as well as blog posts and uh, YouTube channel of the same name. Excellent. And I will include the links in the show notes for that as well. And are you okay with people reaching out to you with questions directly? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Perfect. And I want to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests, actually. And I know that you have previously had a dog in your life. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what has your dog or animals in general taught you about what it means to be human? Mm. Yeah, you know, we were talking before we started the interview and we talked about um, uh, our animals kind of mirroring ourselves. And so with my dog, Sam, um, he was definitely a mirror. You mentioned anxiety and sort of like the stacking anxiety. So anytime I was anxious, Sam would let me know. Mm. He would start doing things to make me know that he was anxious. And then I would get more anxious and then he would get more anxious. <laughs> so I really, it was such, um, wow. It was just such a learning experience to have him. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Jessica. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Oh, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode with integrative health practitioner and health coach, Jessica Green. I'd love to hear what your takeaways are from this chat. And like I said, if you have any questions you want me to ask Jessica on a future episode, send them to me on Instagram at mystic dog mama. I've left links to Jessica Green's website, Instagram, and Facebook page in the show notes. Also, this episode is supported by Aspirationary, where we make books, notebooks, and stationery to help you become all you aspire to be. This episode is supported by Aspirationary, where we make books, notebooks, and stationery to help you become all you aspire to be. I've made a special journal and workbook especially for tracking your cycle, symptoms, and navigating the identity shifts that occur during perimenopause. It's a great way to keep track of things so you can identify patterns and have something to reference when you talk with your doctor, naturopath, or health coach. It would also be a great tool alongside Jessica's upcoming book. The Perimenopause Journal should be available by the time this episode airs or just shortly thereafter. So check out our Instagram page for updates and availability. That's aspirationary spelled A-S-P-I-R-A-T-I-O-N. E-R-Y. As always, I'd love to hear from you about other topics you'd like me to cover on future episodes. So please reach out to me on Instagram at Mystic Dog Mama. I absolutely love hearing from you. Okay, until next time.